the only game that I'm excited about is that Tennessee game because Georgia State's definitely going to win it. So that's David. I can't believe it. You heard it here first, everybody. Oh my God! You should believe it. You need to believe it. This is okay. This Tennessee. Oh, I'm not saying I believe that Georgia. I can't believe that Georgia State can't beat Tennessee. I can't believe that you're calling your shot in March. (laughs) I have to call my shot in March. I believe that Georgia State's going to start the season one and zero. This is a Thursday night podcast. Your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Well. It's September, and that actually happened. Welcome back to another jubilant upset edition of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Taylor, and I'm joined by the full crew, David, Brady, and Jordan. It seems a little superfluous, but how are we feeling? Pretty good. That was awesome. Like I, <laughs> I told you, it would happen. I knew. I'm clairvoyance. <laughs> I'm Brady. <laughs> David, I'm not sure if clairvoyant is the right word. I think you just mean you've seen Tennessee football and you've seen Georgia State football and you made an educated decision to publicly stay, take that take. In March. Yeah. No, In March. I mean, that's that's probably fair. Um, I don't know. They play SEC football, but I mean. Do they? Do they, though? But I mean, it was. It was I've only honestly, been a college football fan for one week, and I'm pretty sure Georgia <laughs> State is the best team in the country. Oh, absolutely, unequivocally, they are. You know, but hey, we're one and zero, and that's all that matters, right? It wasn't a fluke either. It was definitive domination beatdown mode. Seriously, and I mean, we could, obviously we'll talk about that as you know we record this, but it's not like Georgia State looked bad at any point during the game. I mean, no. Well, what were the points we talked about last week in order for them to win? Tennessee has to come out and look like they don't want to play football. Check. Turnovers. Check. Pass rush. Check. Run the ball effectively. Check. That's There's your recipe, folks. I need to be a college football coach. All I'm going to say is I'm not used to seeing grown men crying that aren't also wearing the same color I am when watching a football game. And there's plenty of that. To be fair, we have seen a lot of see tears in the past few years this is just absolute rocky bottom <laughs> rocky stopped if you will <laughs> oh i will jordan i want to take this chance to state a couple of fun facts about georgia state's win over the volunteers georgia state obviously this was their first power five win in program history tennessee has not dropped a home opener since 1983 36 years of home opener wins snapped by georgia state on saturday uh, and according to ESPN's Football Power Index, this was the fourth worst loss in the history of college football, Georgia State beating Tennessee. So those are all things that really brightened my day that I wanted to share with you three and the listeners at home. It's nice to see Georgia State break a record older than Jordan. Yep. I'm not that much older than you. I guess I am technically. It was really something to go out into Neyland Stadium and be literally amidst a sea of orange up in the top deck. People playfully talking trash, and then all of a sudden, you know, they start to be a little bit quieter, and then they just leave. And then you're sitting there by yourself. Oh, okay, this is fine. This is good. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, you're down on field level celebrating with everybody else when we just stomp the pants off of them. And there's grown men crying sitting next to you wearing orange. It was pretty fun, not going to lie. Yeah, the thing that was just impressive about the win was the second half was where the it was really 
dominance. Uh, the yardage off the top of my head, I don't know, but it was something like 240 to 120 something was the yard dif- disparency in the second half. And the second half's when you got to, you know, get down the nitty gritty and finish a game. And one of the teams did that. I'll save you the trouble. It wasn't Tennessee. Tennessee did not rush for 100 yards the entire game, which is something Sean Elliott apparently put on a whiteboard in the practice facility. So not the only clairvoyant one, David. You got custom competition. <laughs> in retrospect, a lot of the, the talk going into the game, it did feel, I, I do believe just how much they believed that they were going to win that game. Cause it did seem in retrospect, they were talking it up a lot. And, you know, as we put a clip out on Twitter, Dan called it as well after the spring game. Don't be shocked if we beat. Sorry, it was don't be shocked when we beat Tennessee. Yeah, the win. The win oh. it was an important clarification because uh, he did say win, and coach seemed confident. And then afterwards, he was like, "Yeah, there was stuff that we saw. We thought that we could exploit their offensive and defensive lines not being set, and that we have a pretty." experienced good offensive line and we can talk about that more later but the offensive line had a heck of a game for georgia state seriously they played out of their their minds it was phenomenal i mean they're they just decided that tennessee was not going to touch dan unless he was past the line of scrimmage and you know obviously he was dan was hit a couple of times i mean in the official stat book it says he was sacked twice so we'll give them that but other than that all the carries they definitely did have one legitimate sack yes they They definitely did have one legitimate sack where they kind of swarmed and well i mean i I, i'm only speaking to the one that i'm specifically remembering uh but it was like kind of late in the second half maybe like late third quarter early fourth quarter and they brought a lot of pressure i mean they got dan on the ground um that was of course that fumble fumble in the second half as well Correct. Uh, the fumble right. was it was pretty legit pressure out of Tennessee, but other than that, the Georgia State line kept Dan up for most of the entirety of the game. But the superstar nature of it, I'd say, came in the run game. I mean, there were guys getting hats on guys at the second level constantly. Uh, the inside of the line really uh, on the PFF Pro Football Focus, they do college grades, and uh, the this was a little surprising. The only Georgia State player in their team of the week when they graded it out was Malik Sumter, the center, but him being on it doesn't surprise me because I, I constantly saw him getting up to the second level and just getting on guys. And the other thing Georgia state kept doing is they kept working a tight end in the middle of the line and they kept having him in kind of an H back position. So it was basically just a, a sixth offensive lineman right in the middle of it. And it was just a numbers game and that there were always going to be holes. If there's that many guys up the middle. I don't think that we say enough about, I mean, we already touched on the pass blocking and, you know, they did a really good job of protecting the quarterback, but the run blocking, I mean, I just can't, I got to come back to this. We just can't say enough about how many times we saw a huge hole open up that our running back core just was able to take advantage of. Trey Barnett had a great game. Dan was able to get outside the pocket too. I mean, you saw he had that great scramble in the fourth quarter. All that comes down to really solid blocking schemes. So again, I just really want to take tip my hat a little bit to the Georgia state offensive line and the coaching staff there. They really came prepared for this game. And I mean, it was a lot of movement. Like that's as Brady alluded to, it was a lot of just guys just peeling off their blocks and just kind of hitting 
guys in the second level and just allowing that little extra hesitation from the ball carrier to get around a defender and get that extra yard or, you know, Georgia State kind of just went right at Tennessee. Like if you rewatch the Seth Page touchdown, I mean, he's he makes first contact about three, four yards out, but he just kind of pushes forward and gets that big, big man push from behind him and just kind of gets past the goal line, you know, I know I hate this trope, but a lot of people just say that that's effort and that's all it really was. You know, Georgia state just truthfully wanted it more. Yeah. On that first touchdown, that's another one with the offensive line. I remember that distinctly. I think it's Gilmore and Sumpner left guard and center just totally double teamed the, the nose guard and just took him out of the play. And then there's the hole there for page to run through. And he finished the drill as every football cliche says. And I think the moment I will circle back to, uh, really feeling like the upset was nigh was the first drive of the second half to go up 21-17. Because at that point, Georgia State ran down the field pretty easily. Nine plays, 75 yards. And on that drive, they threw a couple of different looks at them, and Tennessee just really didn't know on defense what they were going to be doing. You already started to see a little bit of the heads looking around, hands on knees, and it just looked like Tennessee was already starting to wilt I mean, that that drive just honestly took a lot of wind out of Tennessee's sails. And I mean, it just looked like they truthfully didn't want to be there. But and I, I'll say that drive was kind of when you could start to feel that Dan was settling down um, from a passing perspective. The run running the ball was always working, even in the first half. But that drive truthfully was when he kind of figured it out with and I, I know he threw the touchdown in the first half, but that was the drive where he settled down, started making a lot more of those touch passes that we're used to seeing him make. And, you know, that drive just seems, sounds so defeating for Tennessee. Especially because in the history of close but no cigar upset attempts, right into the second half, you see a lot of times the team that should be winning comes out hot. They make adjustments. They get a big play happen and the tide turns. And that just didn't happen. Uh, the team that came out looking like they made adjustments or that they looked like they tried to sync everything up was Georgia State. I really don't know. I guess what I'd say actually is that Tennessee did kind of make adjustments and it was kind of mind-boggling what they did. Uh, Offensively, I really don't know what they were trying to do in the second half at all. I want to take a second to kind of point out Kind of to David's credit, and Brady, you said it a little bit earlier, of how as the game went on, you could tell Tennessee was just kind of mentally fatigued. They didn't really all look locked in. Physically, they were worn down. And I think you can kind of point that to these three really long, sustained touchdown drives. One here in the uh, middle of the second quarter. So, I mean, uh, 16 plays, 81 yards, six and a half minutes. Then later on, Look at here uh, at the beginning of the third quarter, came right out of the half and then went on another nine play, 75 yard, like four and a half minute touchdown drive. I mean, those are so draining to be on the opposite side of that, having seemingly no recourse to get off the field. You could tell Tennessee's defense was mentally and physically gassed by the end of those drives. And Georgia State saw that and put their foot down on the pedal and never let go. And even the drive was still a failure because it ended in a fumble, but the drive with the fumble, it was in plus territory and it was at the end of a sort of long drive. Like you're talking about it. Um, so th- 
even in a drive that ended in the turnover, it still was in the middle of a drive for Georgia State. And then Georgia State got the ball right back because they stopped them to a field goal on the subsequent Tennessee possession. And then that's when they drove down again and took the lead. 28-23. Yeah, I want to hit on that really fast because I think that was my favorite sequence in the entire game and how it truthfully just felt like, okay, Georgia State is probably going to do something really weird. You have a three and out where Georgia State loses three yards on three consecutive plays. That's all they do. They punt. Tennessee drives down 19 yards, gets a field goal. Next possession, Georgia State is, you know, starts driving down the field. Okay. They, they're leading by one point. They still feels like they shouldn't be here. Well, Dan fumbles in the red zone. Okay. Tennessee drives down. They have a big play, 53 yard catch to Anderson. The a 53 yard catch to Dominic Wood Anderson, you know, like that's, that sucks. First play out of a turnover, you know, then you have another couple of plays where Tennessee gets down to the Georgia state 19 crap. They're about to score a touchdown. The defense clamps up though, forces them to a field goal. Okay. Tennessee goes up by two Georgia state immediately marches down the field, nine plays, 75 yards for a touchdown. Like that's where have we ever seen a Panther team have Three objectively bad drives, offense, defense, and defense again, and then just put that behind them like it's nothing and do that. That was incredible to watch. On the the Trey Barnett touchdown on that drive, if you watch it again, Tennessee is just not at all in sync on that play. There's guys running around. They're not set. Dude is a late substitute. He gets into the play. He just doesn't go offside. He gets on the side of the right tackle, and the right tackle just gets in his way. And that's where the hole is. And Trey just runs right through that. And the one quality Trey Burnett has above anything else in his game is he just, if he hits a hole, you're not going to catch him. I mean, it was, it was fun to watch. Like we, I mean, we will probably be talking about this Tennessee game for a while. I think there are very few things that we could pull from it that are truthfully bad. Um, I'll say for me personally, I want to watch Dan and how his passing is because at one point during the game, he did look a little, Achy is what we'll say, but you know, they have Georgia. State's it was really defense. the first quarter, maybe quarter and a half that he wasn't getting the looks that he wanted. And the running game was obviously working for us. So we lean a little heavily on that, but exactly. I think that as day, as the, the game went on, Dan found himself becoming more comfortable, willing to take those shots down the field. And I don't know if that is necessarily the looks he was getting. And he decided in the moment I'm, you know, going for this read and it doesn't work out or if it's a, uh, like a play calling situation, but you, you could definitely see as the game went on, he was getting more comfortable in the pocket. And we had a couple of really good passing plays down towards the second uh, in the second half. But I would like to see more than 139 passing yards from Dan. I mean, obviously he was great on the ground and that's where we were killing Tennessee. So we're obviously going to keep running with what's working, but I would like to see us, not have to rely so heavily on the run game and be able to open up the playbook and start, you know, doing that spread offense that, that Brad Glenn supposed to be bringing to the table. You know, I will say when the running, the results, the run attempts nearly doubled the pass attempts. So I think it is probably fair to expect that we are going to be seeing a run heavy team for Georgia state this year. I do think that the passing could be more effective. I I just, I don't think we're going to necessarily be throwing the ball as much as Georgia state fans might be expecting based on past years. 
I think that there's some degree to where it's just early in the year. Guys aren't always syncing up chemistry wise. So we'll see. It's also possible Tennessee was doing a good job in pass defense and that it's not necessarily something we're going to be able to. We're not going to see Georgia State struggle as much against not SEC size defenses with defensive backfield. I mean, defensive backfields where Pruitt made his money as a coach. So if that's where they were able to have success, they didn't have success stopping the run against Georgia State. So I haven't dug into the tape enough to see exactly what their defensive backs were doing, but it's possible that that's one of the better defensive backfields we face talent-wise. And then just the last thing I would want to mention with Tennessee, especially for a coaching staff that came under some fire after a less than desirable 2018. It was a heck of a job by both coordinators, by the head coach, by the strength guys. Uh, The Georgia state looked really prepared. Georgia state was locked in the whole game. Georgia state lasted all 60 minutes. It's going to be hard to see this Georgia state team, not having success. If they replicate what happened there game in and game out this year. Uh, So credit to Coach Glenn and Coach Fuquay for their game plans. They definitely had the guys ready. Very, very good job of coaching for a staff that, like I say, caught a lot of flack. Hey, hopefully they keep them just as prepared when they, you know, host Furman at home this week. Speaking of which, let's pivot. Let's talk about our home opener. Saturday, 7 o'clock, night football versus Furman. How are we feeling, R.E., our home opener opponent? That's number 11 Furman to you, sir. Number 11 FCS Furman. So the first thing with any situation where you come off a high of a win like this at Tennessee, you worry about the hangover. You worry about the team feeling too much themselves and they come out flat because they think they can against the FCS Furman team. I don't necessarily think that's the case this time. I'm not saying that that's a lock for a win because you still play the game. But the quote that came out, it was an AJC article, an interview, senior safety Remy Lazarus did. The quote from him is, I think Furman will give us a tougher battle than we face Saturday, if you want to be honest. And so from the leadership of the team and similar quotes from Coach Elliott about this, it doesn't sound like they're overlooking Furman at all. If they win, that being Furman, then it's going to be a big problem for the program losing the positive momentum they could have been gaining, but I don't think it's going to be because the team's going in overlooking this game. Something that another friend of mine, Georgia state fan posited to me earlier today was that if we beat Furman on Saturday, this will be the first time that Georgia state will have ever started the year two and out. One of those being a win against our five opponents. So first solid round first, you know, first of all, but it just seems so crazy to think, that we've never two wins to start the year together. But then I go back and look at the schedules we've played and we always play, you know, like uh, uh, 2013, we played Tennessee week two. I mean, we that's uh, out of conference scheduling kind of lends itself to that. But big step for the Panthers starting two and oh is something we've never done before. So hopefully that's something we'll be able to break down and talk about to you next week. It's something we should have done many many times but for those of us who were around in 2010 to see that shorter game in week one with over 30,000 people there and then show up the next week to lose to a school that then folded because they didn't have any more money later that year is uh sobering 
I think is maybe the right word for it. But I think the team has moved on to a point where that's not going to happen again, judging by the attitudes of the coaches and the players and what we saw on the field this past week. And there's another quote. I believe this quote was also from Remy Lazarus. It was, beating Tennessee wasn't one of our goals this season. So as far as the, the talk side of it, from the captains of the team, who we can assume speak for the team to a certain degree, it seems like, the mindset is there and the performance was there last week. And a big problem for Georgia state has just been playing well early in the season. So if in week one performance was good, I think fans can expect week two to continue on that plane or improve. And if it's not the case, it's going to be disappointing win or lose. If it, if the team takes a step back in performance, it's fair to say this should have been better. Yeah. I mean, Herman's going to come in and they're going to try to run the ball because they're a flex offense. Um, and it, it's going to be interesting to see if Georgia State can continue to stop the run as well as they did on Saturday against Tennessee. The staff on defense and Coach Elliott are familiar with the option because they've been in the SOCON and FCS and the Southern Conference has been stacked with teams who run similar schemes like that dating back to when Georgia Southern was in it. Wofford's another option team. And so there's always been a familiarity with the option with this staff that even in last year when the, the results didn't go well, the first game was against Kennesaw, and the defense looked pretty good against the option as far as stopping the run. And this the 2017 team, the defense was very strong against the run all year, so... Seeing how good the run defense was last week, I don't think it's that much of a leap to say that stopping the option is within their own possibility. And if that's happening, that's the ball game for Furman. The number one key to the game, in my opinion, is going to be Furman's run offense versus Georgia State's run defense. Because if the run offense for Georgia State isn't nearly as good this week, they can probably pivot to the pass offense against an FCS defense that might not have the size or the speed to keep up with the receivers and the tight ends for Georgia state. But if Furman can't run the ball, I don't see any way they pivot to winning the game through the air. Yeah. That's how they took down Charleston Southern. I mean, they, all they did really was run the ball and the final line looks a lot better for them than it should. And I don't want to take anything away from their win. Obviously they did exactly what they you know, showed up to do, but you know, when you have two guys that bust out two 66 yard runs, it's going to inflate your numbers a lot more than otherwise, you know, you take out those two runs and they only ran the ball for 247, which is still a big number. Like that's obviously anytime you can run the ball for almost 250 yards, that looks great, <laughs> you know, but I don't want to sit here and, but in say, an offense that is exclusively, based around the run that's to be expected exactly that is exactly what i want to say and you know if they don't run that much that's probably going to yield them a lot of losses to your point it if it is 250 yards on the ground which is possible uh to likely just for how much they're going to be running if they only have 100 passing yards that's still going to be somewhere around 350 total yards which isn't that sexy of a number and it probably won't have led to the success they're going to want to see. I, I definitely think if Georgia State's going to win on Saturday, they're definitely going to have to force Furman into those passing situations and just kind of let their Georgia State secondary do the talking. Because, I mean, 
I'll be honest, I was incredibly impressed with Georgia State secondary on Saturday. And obviously there was a little bit of a size and a talent mismatch. And, you know, one of their start, one of Georgia State's starting corners didn't even play. So if Furman is going to have to, if Furman is going to win the game, it's going to be because they were capable of running the ball. But hopefully Georgia State's capable of stopping the run and just letting uh, their Georgia State secondary have a great second week in a row. Yeah, I, I I would personally uh, hesitate to word, use the word great just because of the sheer numbers. Uh, but going back to we may not face a better talented team than Tennessee, that receiving core for Tennessee was really good, and Juwan Jennings is just huge. Seriously. Uh, we're not going to see a Juwan Jennings-type lineup on Furman, and that's no disrespect to Furman. It's just Juwan Jennings is an SEC-sized wide receiver. And a couple of the big plays they had were because he was breaking tackles and open in the middle of the field. But Tyler Gore played really good starting in a pinch. And it's possible that he starts again. We don't know for sure what's up with Quavian White. But if he is playing in a more limited role, even if he's just lining up in the slot, I think you can trust him because he played well in an SEC stadium. And Jalen Jones, it was quiet on his side of the field just because they he wasn't getting thrown out much, which is probably a good sign for how good of a job he was doing. I believe I'd have to go back and rewatch. I believe on the 54 yard uh, busted coverage, uh, the 54 yard play that was a busted coverage. I believe it was Jones. Um, I think it was Evan Jones. I think it was. Okay. Okay. I believe it was Evan Jones as the cornerback and Remy was the safety on that side. Yeah, it looked like they were playing zone anyway, so I'm not going to necessarily fault them for that because that's honestly what happens in zones. If, you, if you're if you busting man-to-man coverage, then yeah, you can point some fingers, but sometimes guys just slip past the zone and it leads to really large plays. So I yeah, I would say if we're going to put a bow on keys to Furman, stopping the run, but specifically limiting big plays, which is kind of the biggest tenet of Nate Fuquay's defensive scheme is keeping everything in front of them. So if they stick to what their scheme is designed to do on defense and an offense, if the offense just keeps performing around the level they were at in the first game, whether they add on a little bit more in the passing game, take some shots downfield against a less vaunted secondary, it's really open. It just, it's just about increased offensive performance, not really letting Furman hang because as we saw last week with the Tennessee Georgia state game. If you let the team who shouldn't be around hang, they're not just going to go away when the clock hits two minutes in the fourth quarter, you know, what have you. One more thing I'll say regarding Saturday's matchup with Furman is that I have personally never seen Georgia state football fan base as energized and excited about Georgia state football, probably ever in my nine years following this team. I really hope that that energy transfers to people coming out and being loud and excited on Saturday. I have full confidence that it will, especially considering how aggressively Georgia state has been marketing their ticket packages. Um, that upset special uh, kind of went viral. I saw a lot of people outside of the normal sphere of people that talk about Georgia state mentioning that. Um, so if you're listening to this and you're on the fence about coming on Saturday, please come out. Also, night football is something to be excited about. Um, But I really think that when our fans are in the stadium, getting into the game, 
when things are going well for us, it's really the extra kicker that's going to put us over the top in a you know 50-50 situation on you know single drive or a play or something like that. And the players feel that energy and they feed off of that. And I really think that if our fan base comes and is engaged and energized and excited about the game, then it's going to be a good day for us. I'll just say that. So before we go, I do want to take a to do a little bit of housekeeping. Um, first of all, Brady put out a really good piece um, kind of in a new series, I guess we're going to be calling it um, called Upon Further Review of kind of taking a deeper dive into rather than just a normal kind of surface level postgame article is going to be a little more analysis based and a deeper dive into performances from that past week. So definitely go give that a look. We're also going to have a lot more weekly content coming out this year, especially now that football season is hit full swing uh, Thursday night.com. And it's, I don't think we can be called employees, but the people that run the website, uh, we have all been offered media credentials. So we're going to be able to get a lot of really cool access and be able to really up the level of coverage and provide the quality of coverage that we would like to be able to this year. So definitely be on the lookout for highlight videos or weekly analysis of games, upcoming games, everything you've come to expect from us and more. Um, So be on the lookout for that. Make sure you're following all of our Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. And then just one more time, thank you guys for you know supporting the show, being engaged. We have a lot of people reaching out telling us that you know this is something that they are enjoying and that they're looking forward to and that they have wanted to see for a long time. So we really appreciate you guys being a part of this journey with us as well. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Literally anybody that is even halfway interested in Georgia State, tell them. And even the people that aren't, tell them as well so that we can get them interested in Georgia State. All right, well, that's going to do it for this week. The entire crew, my name is Taylor. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you all next week. Hopefully, we'll see you guys there on Saturday when Georgia State takes on Furman. 7 o'clock kick there or be somewhere else, but please be there. Thanks for listening, guys. Great week. Bye.